0: Wad, Vancouver, pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog with sports odds. Free casino games make a play at bodog.net. Wad and j here with you with another week of Canucks off-season news. Hoping for a bunch of it, JPAD. And and uh, we're getting some trickling in over the weekend. But of course, the biggest news would be the OEL buyout that we went over On the pod on Friday, but just as the weekend sort of progressed and you start to think a little bit deeper on how the Canucks are going to or what the Canucks are going to do with this newfound cap space, how they're going to fill these holes and really why it made sense to actually buy out OEL. Now, we asked the people that uh, in a poll question and it was, yeah, 79% of people saying yes, it was the right move uh, by the Canucks. As you sort of process it more over the weekend, do you still believe uh, that this was the right move for the Canucks? And do you have a sort of feeling of what they're going to do with this newfound money that's burning a hole in their pocket?
1: Well, I will say that uh, I spent a lot of the weekend thinking about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, this is one of the largest decisions as an organization the Vancouver Canucks have ever made. Like when you think of the financial outlay and then the trickle down from that, you know, this couldn't have been easy, and yet in some ways it had to be done. And you know, just pulling the curtain back a little bit. I mean, we recorded on Friday with Patrick and thought we were done for the day, and then the news broke. And in the podcast world, beauty is we were able to jump back on, record a quick insert, but it was fresh as we recorded it. So it really was sort of instant reaction. And you know, I've had some time now to process it and try to think about what it really means for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, I know Rick Dollywell reported that OEL and and his camp were caught off guard. They were surprised when the Canucks contacted them on Friday and told them that this was going to happen. And, you know, not that I ever thought for a second that OEL was tradable. I mean, the guy had no movement clause, but beyond that, uh, there wouldn't have been any takers, uh, you know, with the level of performance last season and what was left on that contract. But, it also tells you that the Canucks, you know, they bypassed, like, even uh, the ultimate Hail Mary. Like, just offering around the league to see if there were any takers, if there was something that could be done. Because he had the no movement, they would have had to involve OEL and his uh, agent in any trade talks. So, uh, this was a decision made by the Canucks that, you know, it really was a last resort. And uh, they just couldn't afford to go into the draft and then ultimately, beyond that, into free agency, uh, over the cap limit with zero flexibility and we know for a year and a half they've been trying to trade Brock Besser and Connor Garland and maybe to a lesser degree Tyler Myers at some point maybe they're you know they tried to get in, gauge interest if uh there were takers out there for OEL uh but all roads led back to the fact that this was kind of the last resort for them so credit to the ownership that gets carved an awful lot in this city for Stepping up and writing that check, and you know, they always, but they that the
0: ownership has to take a bit of responsibility for the trade with OEL as well, they right? Approved like, it, obviously, it, yeah, sure, yeah. So, but you knew what you were getting into in terms of the financial uh, structure of things.
1: Look, maybe a buyout was always sort of on the table in their minds a little closer to the end, not with four years remaining and as much money was yeah. still there. But they yeah. stepped up. Look, the Aquilines, for all their faults, have always been willing to be a cap team and pay to the, you know, the limits. Sure. But usually that's for the players that they've got on the roster on the ice. They're paying 20 million bucks to make this guy go away. And, you know, a massive part of the OEL story is he's 31. Like, he turns 32 here in the summer. But he's not 36. You know, this isn't, Late in his career, Alex Edler or somebody else. In fact, he was supposed to be the replacement for Alex Edler, and they were supposed to get the you know the first half of his thirties and get reasonable service. And just the the rapid decline. I mean, we all watched it last year. Uh, you know, the speed of the game just became a massive issue for him, and uh, you could see. I mean, teams knew that this league so heavily scouted. Teams part of their game plan was drive wide, like you know just get him to try to turn and the minute he had to turn and pivot he was in trouble and and you know so then he started to back way in and you know there was no gap control well it's the nhl if you give guys time and space they're gonna kill you and so you know i i I guess i was a little surprised that you know he was a first round pick he was a captain in arizona he was an all-star like you don't lose the hockey IQ part, but if the body's not willing, I guess, I just, I thought maybe there would have been ways that he, you know, stick positioning and all that kind of stuff that he could have defended a little bit better. But, you know, I went and looked over the weekend just to reconfirm what I already knew. But, you know, when Quinn Hughes was on the ice at five on five, the Canucks outscored their opponents by 20. When OEL was on the ice at five on five, and he only played three quarters of the games because he was hurt after Feb 15th, but the Canucks were outscored by 22. So there was a 42-goal swing on that left side. When Quinn Hughes was on the ice, ice tilted in the Canucks' favor. When OEL was on the ice, they were defend, 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 and you know not doing a particularly good job of it. Rick Tockett comes in. Uh, OEL played nine games under Tockett and then got hurt. So th- that was one of the questions, too. How would OEL and Tockett, you know, could they mend their fences? Because it didn't end well uh, in Arizona. And ultimately, he played nine games for the new head coach. So, you know, the question now becomes, what do the Canucks do with this money? And uh, you wondered if they are—like, I kind of thought maybe another shoe would drop over the weekend, that maybe this was all done, you know— check the first box and then proceed to step two. That hasn't happened yet, but I certainly am not ruling it out. I can't imagine it was, let's just buy out an OEL and we'll have some money and then we'll figure it out. I have to think that there is a plan here. And now it's a question of, can you execute? Because you may have trade targets or free agent targets, but uh, there's no guarantee you're going to land your your people. So, yeah, uh, still so many moving parts to all of this, but absolutely a seismic shakeup. Uh, for the Vancouver Canucks on Friday.
0: So Cap Friendly says they got uh, $6.4 million in change, really, in cap space right now. Now, that could grow, of course, with LTIR and whatever well, well uh, happens with uh, Tucker Pullman, perhaps with uh, Tanner Pearson as well. But, you know, I said burning a hole in their pocket because they got holes to fill. Sure. And they're going to have to, you know, take on – listen, if they're going to want a good 3C with the, all the – uh capabilities that they need you know whether that's a you know a little offensive flair good two-way game like that's going to cost you a little bit now hopefully they can do that relatively cheap you know they only have 6.4 million right now but then you look at that left side and you wonder like who internally is going to be there on the opening day lineup for the Canucks obviously it's Quinn Hughes who else is going to be there and I'm talking about just on the left side I don't see a scenario where Hirose or Rathbone are both on the team with Quinn Hughes. That's just, that's not going to happen. Right. Especially when you, you talk about Rick Tockett and his need for those, you know, big boys, those Redwoods back on, on D. So, you know, is Hirose or Rathbone is one of them going to be a sweetener during this uh, off season here to get out from underneath the contract? Like what do you see happening there on that left side?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, for the longest time we thought the right side, was the issue. Now it's both sides. And, you know, again, keep the the context here, the backdrop of improving and being a playoff team. I mean, that's their stated goal. I know it was last year as well, and they fell well short of that. But, you know, they still think that they could be a playoff team. Well, then they're going to have to take some of this money. And as much as I agree with you that 3C is an issue... I don't think it's the priority. I think now you've got to stabilize. You basically need second pair of defensemen on both the left and the right side, especially given the news of Ethan Bear's surgery. So, like, the defense was in a state of flux already, but, my goodness, like, even more so now after the bio. and that's why I say they, they have better intel, they have a better sense of the true budget that they've got to commit, and they know better about the health of Poolman and Pearson and all those types of things. So... You know, let's see how all this plays out. But you know, the internal candidates, again, you're not getting to the playoffs if you think that you're coming back with Akito Horosi and Christian Willannon and Quinn Hughes as your left side. Like you're just you're not. Like, you know, can one of those guys be a third-pairing defenseman for the Canucks? Yeah, probably, and probably has to be, given the, the cap situation that they've got. Um, but then you go over to the right side and you're looking at Hironic, you got Tyler Myers, and then you've got all sorts of questions over on that right side. Like, uh, just to give people a sense, and people may already know this, but, like, it hit, the reality of it hit when I was looking at the Canucks defense scoring from last season. After OEL was bought out, like, for all of his faults last year, he was still the second highest scoring defenseman on the Vancouver Canucks, and Luke Shen was third. So, just... Digest that for a sec. Now, Philip Peronik obviously will come in, and uh, if all goes well, you know, he'll be the second highest scoring defenseman. Uh, they were the lowest scoring team in terms of goals from defensemen. People that listen know I bang that drum an awful lot. Um, and so, yeah, they're defensemen. Their first job is to defend, but in a modern NHL, you've got to have guys that can move the puck up ice, get into the offense, all that kind of stuff. So, like, just so much heavy lifting. So, I, I think the defense has to be the priority now. And it's a question of, you know, are, are they looking at trade targets? Are they looking beyond that to free agency? But at least having this cap flexibility, like, before Friday, they were going to be on the sidelines. Like, they just, there was nothing they could do. And, and like, their hands have been tied forever. And for the people that, and there are a lot of them, like, shame on those people that kept telling us that there wasn't a cap crunch, that there wasn't, you know, you guys are making too big a deal of this, like you got to give your head a shake there. Um, And so now what I like is, you know, how quickly can they get creative? We saw three teams hook up on a three-way deal that sort of met everybody's needs a couple of weeks back. Like the Canucks now, they could be a broker. I'm not saying they will be, but they have the flexibility that they could be a broker all of a sudden in a three-way trade and could get paid to do that so that you have a little bit more dead money, but you also get an asset. And then what do you do with that asset? Or does that asset, you know, is it a player that can can help you now? Um, you know, they just, there are ways that they can get creative. And I have to think that nothing changes on the Besser and Garland front other than teams don't have them over a barrel anymore. Like they've positioned themselves now that, you know, teams can't hold them for ransom the way that they were. So I don't know if that alleviates some of the pressure on Patrick Albin in that regard, but I still think that nothing can they've got too many wingers. You've got Hoaglander, you got Pod Colson. You know, that's where your surplus, McKay, if you know, hopefully fully healthy. So I still think that you know, it would be full steam ahead for them to try to move off at least one of those wingers to continue to clear up some cap space. So I like the fact that, you know, they could be creative here. They, uh, you know, not just a broker. uh, Look, they could take on a bad contract. If that's how they wanted to to get paid, they've got cap space. Now, I don't know that taking on a bad contract is the best way for this group with what limited cap space they have, but maybe they can find an overpaid third-line center and that another team's is trying to move off of, and that other team will be willing to retain yeah. some plus pay. You know, like these yeah. are the options <clears throat> that are available to them. It came at the price of 20 million to Oliver Reckman-Larsen, but it does open a whole bunch of doors that were slammed shut uh, as recently as Friday morning. Well, that
0: might then sort of put into focus what the actual goal of the season is then, right? Like maybe they would be willing to take on somebody, like you said, with a team that might retain some of it, and maybe they're a pending UFA, but they'll help you be, you know, get to that stated goal. What is that stated goal, though? Is it just the playoffs? Because if that is the case, then maybe you will take on somebody like that as a a one-year sort of just get us over the hump experiment and we'll, you know, tinker as we go along.
1: Right. And look, every team has different needs and wants. And like I could see a world where there's a team out there that wants to get better and needs to free up some cap space and has a $5 million third-line center that they think is underperforming, but maybe that guy can come in and actually be the third-line center on a weaker Vancouver Canuck team, but can help the Canucks. And so they can sort of coexist in that regard. The other team will get cap relief. The Canucks will get a player that they can plug and play. He won't be perfect. But as you said, on a one-year expiring deal that maybe can advance the cause here, yeah. um, you know, or... Yeah, and then if anything, it opens up cap and, space after the season And if it goes sideways connects. on them, you know, yeah. maybe flip yeah. the guy at the deadline and you recoup something there. So again, like, we can have these discussions honestly now because these avenues at least are available. Are they going to, you know, barge down each and every one of these avenues? No, but they're available and it's not crazy talk to at least consider some of these as an option. You know, the other thing with the OEL buyout, and maybe this is a good thing, given the Canucks' recent history on July 1st, is, yeah, there's big cap savings this year and significant cap savings next year, but then you get slapped in the face for a couple of seasons. So I would think that this would prevent the Canucks from jumping into free agency and going long-term with you know unrestricted free agency. Now, the cap is expected to rise, and I think that's important. We don't know ultimately to what degree what that final number will, will be, but... You know, the downside to the OAL buyout is that in two years' time, if Elias Petterson hangs around, like, two more years of Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko will be in the final year of his deal then. Like, that should absolutely be go time. And you're going to be paying this sort of $5 buck, Like, that $5 million player, even if the cap goes up to 95 or or $100 it's like, that's, that's a $5 million player. That's Kuzmenko. That's Thatcher Demko. Like... You know, you want to surround Elias Petterson We've spent so much time talking about surrounding Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes with better players, and that's the downside, is that, you know, and so that scares me a little bit that the short-term goal, it's going to be all, be about the short-term goal of just getting back to the playoffs rather than trying to build a team that, sure, makes the playoffs, but that's just step one, you know, on this climb to being a contender. Uh, in years three and four, there's no question, like, that OEL buyout, it's going to be a hurdle. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, like I said, it depends on what the whole stated goal is with this team right now. And if it's just a scratch and claw to make the playoffs, well, you know, maybe you're making those types of moves. Personally, I would bring it right down to the studs, but I don't think that uh, uh, they're interested in doing that. Um, Hirose or Rathbone? Are are either of them going to be on the opening day lineup, you think? Uh,
1: It feels like Akito Hirose with all of whatever, five games under his belt, has moved past Jack Rathbone. Rathbone just feels like the forgotten man. And, you know, he's played under Travis Green. He's played under Bruce Boudreaux. He got a quick look on an emergency recall under Rick Tockett and just doesn't feel like he's any further ahead in this organization. And if there was ever a guy that maybe needed a fresh start, after a Brock Besser say it might be Jack Rathbone so I think just based on sort of that I would put Akito Hirose ahead of him Hirose did everything they could have asked like the guy looked fine Like he, but you know I had some guy come at me on Twitter today and say like oh Akito Hirose had three points in seven games man like you know gotta keep that into account and he did I can't take three points in seven games away from Akito Hirose I guess he played seven games um Two of them came in the same game against the Blackhawks, and the other was on the power play against the Anaheim Ducks. Like, the two worst teams in the National Hockey League late in the season when they were trying to be bad, they were actively tanking. Like, not just small sample, but context. All of that matters. Again, I liked what I saw from Akito Hirose, but don't try and sell me on three points in seven games, all of a sudden he's a 40-point guy. Like, that that math just doesn't add up. So, um, you know, again, you come back to Rick Tockett watching Vegas, watching the Stanley Cup final, wanting these hulking defensemen. And, uh, you know, like Quinn Hughes obviously isn't that. Quinn Hughes is special. He does what he does. Philip Ronick tries to play physical for his size. But, again, he's six feet tall. He's not huge. And then you've got Rathbone. You've got Herosi. um You know Cole McWard. If somehow he has a big summer, you know how much filling out does he have to do? You know, like I I have to think that some of this money is earmarked to finding a defenseman or two that sort of fits the mold of what Rick talks looking for. So, uh, you know, can Harosi play? I, I mean, he gave all every indication he can. But in my mind, he would be your third pairing guy and sheltered. You know, as he gets up to speed in a full season in the National Hockey League. But there's a glaring hole now on the left side, but there's also, uh, you know, big questions about how you fill out the roster over on the right side as well.
0: Yeah, so third pairing right side, second pairing left side. Really, that's the priorities it seems like right now. If you think Hirose can, can fill that
1: uh, Yeah, that except that, I mean, you know, then you are slotting in Tyler Myers as one of your top two right side guys. Well, I think and, we already are though, aren't we? Well, except that he basically played on the third pairing last year because uh, Bear played ahead of him or Luke Shen played ahead of him. It's a whack depth chart because the way that they're going to do it, like Philip Hronick is going to be on your second pair, even though he's your stud over on the right side, just the way that it shakes down. So if Ronick is on the second pair, you know, are you elevating Tyler Myers? Do you have an appetite? <laughs> I don't have an no. appetite for that. No, I, right. I lost so my then, appetite after you said that. Then by default... By default, he becomes the third pairing guy, and they've got to go and figure out a partner for Quinn Hughes in the absence of Ethan Bear for the first half of the season. So, Uh, in fact, I think think I'm going to be sick, actually. (laughs) So, there's so many moving parts. It's going to be fascinating. But the best part of all is that, you know, we're 10 days out now, less than 10 days from the draft, and such a quick turnaround from the draft into free agency. Like, two weeks from now, we'll have a framework of what the Canucks roster is going to look like it's not the final one that they'll go to training camp there are still moves that can happen but essentially I mean two weeks from now it takes us to July the 3rd or the 4th like you know they'll do some spending and the framework of their roster will have a pretty good sense of the answers to a number of the questions that we've just presented here in the next two weeks so giddy up let's go and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today.
0: Portion of Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage.
1: Yeah, he's the mortgage man. And if you're in the market, uh, he's the guy that you want on your side. Look, the banks are in business for themselves. You always see these stories about banks making cabillions of dollars every quarter. Uh, they're doing that on the backs of unsuspecting customers who maybe don't have all the info that they need. And the banks, they may tell you they're there to help. They're not there to help. They're there to make money. And so Jason Hominick's here to save you money. Honestly, get the help of a mortgage broker if you're in the market or if you're up for renewal. Uh, it all starts with a phone call. He's happy to talk to you. He wants to talk to you and see where it goes from there. So uh, reach out. The contact info is online at jason.mortgage. That's that easy to remember website we tell you about. Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. Jason would be familiar with this name, Travis
0: Green. He's mm-hmm. back, JPAT. And yeah. in fact... Like the Pokemon, he's collected all the Hughes brothers, right? (laughs) He had Quinn. Now he's got uh, Jack and Luke uh, in New Jersey as he's taken on or reported that uh, from Elliot Friedman that he's going to be joining the New Jersey Devils as an assistant coach. He had options, apparently. Calgary was sniffing around. So was Toronto, and he was a former Maple Leaf as well. But he's going to New Jersey, going to the swamp. And honestly, can you. you know, argue with his logic of going there because that team is pretty stacked.
1: Yeah, anybody that's listened to us knows that we both like the direction the New Jersey Devils are headed and we're not alone in the hockey world by any stretch. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple of things come into play here. One is, you know, you, you kind of got the feeling as this cycle of coaching, head coaching vacancies filled and he wasn't able to get back on, on the horse in that regard that this may have to be the route that he took. And it's incredible. When you look around the National Hockey League now, uh, and, you know, really it makes a lot of sense. I would say almost half the staffs have an assistant coach with head coaching experience at the NHL level, like Mike O is on the Canucks staff, uh, Glenn Gulletson's in Edmonton, Ryan Huska takes over in Calgary, but he's got Kirk Muller there. Uh, John Stevens was an assistant in Vegas. They just won the Stanley Cup. I mean, on and on it goes. You can look, I, I would say half the teams. So, you know, this isn't a massive step down in that sense I mean I'm sure Travis still sees himself as a head coach and look the guy that had the job before him Andrew Burnett used it as a springboard and he got the job in Nashville so uh it's going to be fairly high profile Uh, you know you haven't thought of the New Jersey Devils that way for a lot of years but I think there's gonna be a lot of attention Hey, if there's some fire, Lindy chants again early in the season. Yes. I'm just going to say, I hope that. Travis won't be leading them. I don't think, uh, but but <laughs> <laughs> what what are they saying? <laughs> uh, it's a nasty business, and Lindy Ruff won't be the head coach there forever. So, whether Travis Green is positioning himself that way or just to get back in the game. Uh, You know, it kind of felt like it it had to happen, and so good for him. I mean, you know, if he truly believed that he was a head coach and a head coach only, I suppose he could have taken a step back and done the American Hockey League route, but this gets him back in the game, Um, and I think it was important timing for him. Like, the longer you're out, the league moves forward. Like, people forget about you, and so this gets him back in a good situation. Uh, You know, up-tempo, obviously, a team that can score, has a ton of offense— And I do think that the Devils are poised here in the next couple of years to, you know, really make some strides. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad for Travis and let's see how it works out. It'll be a little bit of a different arrangement, not being the guy calling the shots because he was a head coach in Utica and then the head coach for the Canucks for parts of five seasons. So uh, in that regard, it's going to be a little bit different for him. But again, this is the working model around the National Hockey League and uh, you know, they seem to be putting together a, a pretty decent staff there in New Jersey. They're obviously putting together a pretty good product on the ice, and uh, sounds like Travis Green's going to be a part of it. So, yeah, he had some options, but hard to go against if the opportunity was there to join the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll be curious to see. You know, Travis was a forward, obviously. Uh, penalty killing was not the forte of the Canucks, uh, certainly at the end for him. So, I'll be interested to see what portfolios, what departments, uh, you know, sort of, what challenges he's given by Lindy Ruff as part of that Devil's coaching staff?
0: Are you surprised that he picked New Jersey over Calgary or Toronto? I, I mean, I would say more Calgary because he's a he's a Western guy. Does he not keep his home in Portland in the off season?
1: No, he's uh, Anaheim. He's a California guy, um, and yeah, he coached in Portland before he made the jump to to Utica. And a bc boy obviously so strong west coast like he's from the kootenays calgary would have been convenient that way Um, uh, you know i know his parents came to vancouver to watch him do his thing it would have been easy to get to calgary yeah, who knows what offers were on the table sure. ultimately friedman's pretty sound when it comes to his reporting though <laughs> yeah no but yeah. we just don't know you know financially but also yeah, sure. responsibilities and all those types of things and you know, honestly, like, it's human nature. Like, if Travis is trying to get a head coaching job in the National Hockey League again, you know, brand new head coach in Calgary. Like, they're not going to be making any coaching changes there anytime soon, you wouldn't think. Uh, Toronto, I mean, it looks like Sheldon Keefe is going to survive, although we don't know that entirely. Yeah, but, yeah, that
0: that, that might have been the one, really, in terms of, you know, if, yeah, if there could have been an opportunity. Yeah, because. I mean- you know, like Lindy Ruff turned it around big time, and I don't expect New Jersey to no. Go neither to do I. But, a but
1: start like Lindy Ruff a little longer in the tooth in that regard, and and has been yeah, on the job true. for a couple of yeah. seasons, and we know that shelf life is relatively short. Uh, unless you're John Cooper, you know everybody else is playing musical chairs in the National Hockey League. So, anyways, I'm just I, look. He, he's a hockey coach, and I'm sure he wanted to get back in. I'm sure he thought he would get an opportunity to be a head coach, but that hasn't happened. But this positions himself pretty well. And if the Devils have success, I would think that uh, that'll just boost his stock to get a second opportunity behind an NHL bench at some point.
0: We talked about this on a podcast a few weeks ago, but Archer Seelofs uh, finished runner-up to Connor Bedard for the IHF Male Player of the Year. We predicted that this was going, well, at least we predicted that Bedard uh, was going to win it, but we thought maybe Seelofs would be uh, definitely right there, and he was the runner-up. And just a fantastic season for Archer Seelofs, whether it was uh, down in Abbotsford, his taste of NHL action, and then, of course, uh, what he did for his
1: home country in Latvia. Yeah, I can't imagine that anybody is shocked by the outcome of this vote. I don't even know who had the vote, but this has been the year of Connor Bedard and like the guy was just off the charts good at the world's uh World Juniors that is and and has carried on through the Western Hockey League and you know, he'll hear his name called first next week in Nashville. So uh, you know, I, I don't imagine that he set out this year to be the IIHF Male Hockey Player of the Year, but, uh, you know, everything's unfolded nicely for Connor Bedard. And, and really, like, the Sillow story is just incredible, and we documented it through the worlds. But if you think about, like, if he hadn't played at the World Hockey Championship, his season would have ended in Abbotsford as the backup to Spencer Martin— and he sure as hell wouldn't have been in the consideration for the World Male Hockey Player of the Year. So to you know, finish second of Bedard based solely on what he did at the World Championships is insane. It's incredible. And put himself on sort of the hockey radar, because obviously people in Vancouver knew him. He got the five games in the NHL that would have exposed him a little bit. But I think there are still a lot of people that... Probably watched the Worlds and, you know, who's this guy? And, you know, maybe the cannot colored pads and masks gave it away a little bit. But uh, anyway, just a, a huge boost, I would think, to his confidence. And did you see last week? We didn't talk about it last week. But did you see the the picture of him signing the guy's ass cheek for the autograph? I did not. Oh, no, there was a picture. Like he looked like that he was wasn't in, you, was it? No, but he looked like he was just in a public square in. <laughs> the I, I, guy just whipped the <laughs> yeah. Whipped guy, the pants down. Guys
0: like three. Quarters, no, no,
1: no, no. Here, here. Three quarter bare butt, and Arthur Silovs has the sharpie out. Oh my god! <laughs> I'd be running away if somebody did that to so, me. So uh, yeah, some new experiences all around and across the board for for Silovs who. Yeah, I, again, that sort of storyline has disappeared a little bit, but obviously, it's going to heat up again when we get closer to training camp, unless the Canucks allocate some of this money they've got to an experienced backup goaltender. But I'm not, exper- I'm not expecting that. I, I still think that yeah. they'll head to camp with the guys that they've got, and you know, keep their fingers crossed that they can sort of patchwork something behind Thatcher Demko. All
0: right, we've seen some drunken moments when it comes to parades, <laughs> uh, Stanley Cup celebrations. Of course, who can forget? Uh, The keg stand that uh, Ovi did in the fountain. Uh, Who can forget Nikita Kucherov crushing like 10 beers in a press conference after the game. Tarp off, by the way, too. And now William Carlson has entered the chat. And uh, yes, tarps were off in Vegas. You can see why it's warm down there. But boy, there was nobody drunker in the VGK celebration. That's saying a lot because it's Vegas as well. But William Carlson put on a two-minute performance that was... Many parts cringe at times. There were people trying to take the microphone from him, but uh, he had one that will, it'll, it'll echo on for years, J-Pat, uh, when people uh, think about who was the most drunk at the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup Parade. My sense is he might still be drunk.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he's still trying report. to talk to people. Like, he's still trying oh, to grab a microphone right now. <laughs> like, they call him Wild Bill. Now I no, get you it. I see why. <laughs> but, like, for the most part, I think William Carlson has sort of let your actions on the ice speak for themselves. I, I don't see many interviews with him. I, I'm not sure that I've ever seen him sort of, you know, front and center. And, yeah, he was uh, feeling pretty good. You could tell. Um, <laughs> and uh, who, like just let the guy ramble. Like who was the person that was trying to take the mic away from him? I mean, maybe, oh, I maybe know, they were man. worried was, about where that ultimately was going to go, but, uh, yeah, it was cringe. <laughs> it was very cringe at times. And again, like they're all, they're all tarps off. It was hilarious. Right. It looked like hey, nighttime on the strip, Saturday yeah. night, massive, like the parade ended at that plaza outside of T-Mobile and they packed that place. And, yeah, I mean, they did it up right in Vegas, as you would expect that uh, they would. But yeah, if you would asked me, I mean, we went through the playoffs, you know, Conn Smythe, and uh, I don't know if Bodog had odds on who was going to be the drunkest at the, the celebratory parade, but uh, we have Well, we shouldn't we have known, Bill would be the yeah. guy. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> the BC Lions are back in the playoffs, and hosting the Calgary Peters on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core, and you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com, and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks, and kids 17 and under can get in for 15 So bring the noise, fill the Dome.
0: wide Vancouver is presented by Bowdog, poker tips, sports odds, and free casino games. It's time to play. I hit my Bodog best bet over the weekend. I had the BC Lions at minus seven. By the way, too, I got to give some props to the BC Lions. That LL Cool J pregame concert with uh, DJ Z Trip was unbelievable, J-Pat. I was lucky enough to get field access, so thank you to our friends at BC Lions for sorting that out. And I, I got to say, like, the game was great because the Lions obviously won. They shut up, get the shutout. But just what an unbelievable performance from LL Cool J. I, I, again, like, I, I can't believe they actually got him. I also heard from a good source that they were close on 50 Cent. And they ended up getting an LL Cool J, which, again, like, you know, these are, you know, old school rappers. But these guys are, like, bigger than just, you know, the music
1: that they play. These are, like, LL Cool J is a celebrity. It looked awesome. I, I And look, I got up Saturday morning. I fully intended to go to the game. Uh, I had a little hiccup on the home front that uh, had to be dealt with. And so plans changed. Uh, watched it on TV, though. Saw part of the concert there. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, 33,000 and change, I think, was the announced attendance. So uh, that's two years in a row now that Amar uh, Doman has recognized that, you know, it's more than just about the game on the field, that it's an event, it's a show, it's a great way to kick off your home season. And, you know, he's raised the stakes for himself, but just like the organization, just getting its flowers in every corner. Like online, you know, people talking about the CFL that haven't mentioned the CFL on social in years. Like it absolutely, the investment, the return is there, you can see it. Like there was a, they created a buzz on Saturday and really on Friday. I mean, the week leading up to, you know the show itself looked cool. I mean, the reaction. I love the fact that uh, they have that pocket of fans down on the on the field in front of the. It was cool, and everybody was into it too. Like every, w- were you holding an LL Cool J Fathead thing? I saw- no, I didn't get oh.
0: one of those. I was kind of in the back, so you had to have them right <laughs> at the front. I'll tell you what, though, a couple things stood out. The guy doesn't age; like yeah. he still looks the same as he did uh, when he when he first came on the scene. He's probably bigger now in terms of like, the guy's jacked absolutely jacked but not only like he, the energy of the performance was so high and you and I were batting it around before we lit up the mics here like yeah he probably doesn't do a lot of concerts nowadays and you probably had to pay quite a fair, fair penny to get LL Cool J to come and do that but he performed so props to the BC Lions I know they've had a tough time you know sort of getting those fans back but they're doing it right right now and what I love about it too is they didn't just do the the, the CFL like let's go get a big country act Like, they recognized, right? Like, this isn't us. Like, that's a kind of a prairie
1: sort of thing. Like, this is Vancouver. Look, the the Lions fan base is an incredible cross-section, right? You go to a game, and so last year it was one republic. It was, you know, pop. Like, flat out, you know, just pumping out pop hits. This year it's old school rap. They may go the country route next year. Like, you know, they may try to appeal to different portions of the fan base. There's nothing that says they can't, but... Yeah, I just find the CFL is
0: just so. uh, It's always like everything. Every time they go to commercial, it's always that bloody country song. It's just like, can we change this up a little bit here? So again, this is not a BC Lions podcast. So
1: props to the BC Lions. So they did a great job this week. Yeah, and then they went and kicked the crap Uh, out of the Elks. And first shutout since 1977 or something. Like it's the CFL. Like it's incredible that you can't just kick a. Rouge and get a single point. Somewhere along the line, the Elts look like they've got a million problems, and that's for them. Uh, for the Lions, they took care of business. They're 2-0, and and great start. Now they you know, they go against Winnipeg this week. That's going to be, obviously, that's the biggest challenge in the CFL these days, but uh, they go in with some momentum, and yeah, I think there is some renewed interest around town in uh, what they're putting on the field.
0: Yeah, so I had the minus seven on the uh, spread, and uh ended up hitting on that one. Didn't hit on my U.S. Open picks, whatsoever uh brooks kepka i had uh and he finished t17 minus one Cory connors didn't even make the make the cut so he was my canadian i do have a bow dog line today i dug into some hockey and we're going shl jpac of course we are we sure. are because that's well we've basically dug into all the futures around the nhl well, right yeah. now so we got Now, I always say this wrong. Is it Ourobro? Ourobro? I think so. That's how I pronounce it. Ourobro, yeah. All right. So you've got some uh, Canuck flavor there with LeCaramaki. we got PDD, the other Elias Patterson there. And, of course, former Canuck Philip Holm is also on that roster, if you can remember him. They're at plus 1,700 to take home the SHL championship. It's the fifth highest odds, j So don't feel great about them, but I do like some of the players on that team there. So if you feel like uh, you, know, you want to follow that team and maybe perhaps put a little bit of money in your pocket at plus 1,700, those are pretty good odds. But again, uh, I think the, 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 the betting lines, they know the SHL probably a little bit better than you and I.
1: So you're going SHL futures. We're <laughs> yeah. going deep yeah. here on uh, rinkwide. All right. Well, I mean, we'll have to wait uh, a little bit of time to to chart uh, Orbro. And, yeah, uh, but you're we'll right. be watching like, them you, anyway. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, people will be keeping tabs, and certainly Michael Samuelson will be uh, uh, following that team around, doing his player development thing uh, with both Lekaramaki and uh, and the other Elias Pettersson, as he said.
0: All right. So yeah, plus seventeen hundred. Head over to Bodog and place that bet. All right. It's been another edition of the Rink-Wide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink-Wide is the show It always scores.